Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Andrew Rohrman for Gibbon Beyond the Trees. So you might know Andrew as, I mean, Andy, obviously, but also as Scientific or Scientific American. So as Scientific, he wrote the music for Oxenfree from Night School Studios, and he's done the music for uh, Night School's other games like After Party, Next Stop Nowhere, and he's working on Oxenfree 2, which is coming out sometime next year in 2023. In addition to all of the Night School Studios stuff that Andy's worked on, he's written music for many other games, including Jet the Far Shore. So in this conversation, Andy and I talk about the Gibbon Beyond the Trees soundtrack and the Jet the Far Shore soundtrack. We start off with Jet, and then eventually we talk about Gibbon. You might remember that a few months ago in the spring, I interviewed a couple of brothers, David and Marcus, from Austria. They have uh, their sound designers and composers, and they work uh, at their company called Wobbler Sound. I interviewed them about what they had done on Loot River. So that's a great interview, and if you'd missed it, check it out. It's great. They're fantastic fellas. Uh, And anyway, those two did all the sound effects for Gibbon, Beyond the Trees. So that's kind of a fun connection. Andy did the music. David and Marcus did the sound. So we'll hear from Andy shortly. Join us on Discord to talk about this episode and others and other video games, video game music, all the things. You'll find that link in the show notes. YouTube is youtube.com slash level with Emily Reese. You'll find a video of the chat that this very one that I'm ha- that I had with Andy there as well as others and do subscribe so you don't miss out on the new vids. And then uh, Patreon, that website is patreon.com slash level. Would love to have your financial support if you're able. Thank you very much. All right, well, here's Andy talking about first Jet, the Far Shore. Jet, the Far Shore is a sci-fi adventure, and you play as a jet pilot exploring uh, a new alien planet. And so it's uh, very beautiful, uh, very huge spacescapes, right? Just lots of um, space, yes. I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Space and about in space. So, uh, you know, the soundtrack for this one is... Um, very broad in terms of its instrumentation and and lots of beautiful vocals and uh, the like. I do feel like the very first track on the soundtrack, um, we could probably just talk about for an entire episode. I mean, it's like 15 minutes of kind of, it, it kind of reminded me of like an orchestral overture, right? Just kind of yes. laying everything out there. So talk to me about that. Well, that is exactly how it started. Uh since it was such a long project, I think there was a point, and I think I instigated it, where we had a lot of music and we had a lot of it based on scenes 
or, you know, areas of the game that we've been working on. Um, and I just felt the need to just kind of encapsulate it to say, okay, what, what are we doing here? Let me gather a lot of this to just kind of like a vibe check, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after a few years of working. So I just put it together on kind of on my own time just to say, Hey, Craig, this is Craig Adams of super brothers. Like here's kind of an overview of, you know, where I'm at with how things feel, which was all very positive. And so that was a conscious effort to create something that encompassed the vibe so far, the story so far of the game. That included the ambiences, so sound design as well. Of like, we really want to capture what going to you know a new planet would be like. So one of the first things is, what does it sound like? And so that was very important. Mm-hmm. So that's how that came about. Was as an overture was just kind of gathering. Uh, bits and pieces of this project we had done uh, to date. The working title for that was the Topography Suite. And that was, again, intentional titling. Like, Topography was about this planet and what it looked like. It wasn't a character theme. It wasn't a theme. It was just like, what does it feel like? And yeah. so the working title of Topography really, really felt good. And so then that sat with us this, yeah, however long it is, I'm not even sure. Uh, 15 minutes, 28 seconds, because I have my (laughs) cheat sheet here. Uh, You know, it just stuck with us and it was something we'd come back to. And then by the time the game was coming together, Craig was like, let's, we get, we got to put this in because, you know, it's exactly that an overture to what's to come. And my only reference for that is in film was uh, as a kid seeing Lawrence of Arabia and just having the screen open, but then nothing on screen. It was just music. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Like, you know, you get, I don't know how long that overture is, but, you know, 10 minutes before uh, anything even comes on screen, I thought was really impactful. So we kind of took that idea and used it. too will you talk a little bit about the you know the choices that you made to you know sonically color the landscape then yeah uh i took a really i started with a really rudimentary metaphor uh which is we have you know ostensibly humans uh leaving leaving their planet and going to a new one and i really felt that dichotomy of i think that's the right word (laughs) of explorers that are us versus the complete unknown, uh, which would be you know manifest in this game as this new planet full of new uh, life forms. Uh, so I thought of, I would say, more genre typical feelings of, of 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 humans and heroism that you hear in film, which is usually big orchestras. So I started to lean towards, orchestral, more familiar instruments as being the voice of the explorers 
and then more synthetic, uh, synthesis-based or alien sounds, less familiar sounds being the sound of this new planet. And again, kind of cheating, stealing from some of my favorite work was kind of stealing from Solaris and the idea of this alien planet is the alien. So I thought of it as the voice of the planet Mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we started with that as being when we're in kind of the shoes of the humans and their heroism and and exploration, we get the very symphonic kind of rah, 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 typical stuff. But as as they delve into this alien world, that's when it gets weird. And so that's (laughs) another thing we very intentionally did is when you drop down that all that orchestral stuff is gone and it's just kind of weird, creepy drones until you, as the character, kind of get your bearings and, and, and get back on your feet. So that's kind of, it definitely faded as, you know, 10 years of production progressed. But that was the general idea was like on one side, uh, orchestral based stuff. And on the other for the aliens, the, you know, kind of unidentifiable synthetic sounds. I absolutely loved the harp. Like what made you decide to include so much harp, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I like it. <laughs> And that's the way a lot of this worked. Well, uh, sure. We definitely, we definitely had, weirdly, we had a lot of musical references. Uh, you know, we talk about film scores, a lot of film scores, and then a lot of, I did a lot of research on uh, orchestral music that pulls from the same mythology and histories that this game does, mm. which would be um, Eastern Europe, Western Asia, you know, the history of the peoples of those uh, regions. And then, you know, I went back to the Russian, Russian composers of the late 1800s who kind of did the same thing. They wanted their own identity apart from Europe. And so they essentially looked east, said, oh, well, we'll take some of this, you know, air quotes, exoticism and make, you know, a Russian voice. And so I kind of did the same thing for this as an influence, but then obviously then coupled with, I'd say, contemporary and just, you know, film scoring. And that style, because I love it. Uh, not just contemporary, but even you know, further back. Just the the drama of it, uh, and I think that's something that Craig really liked as well, and was really fun to explore. And you know, coming back to the what the question was, that's where these things came from. It's like, well, I really like that harp thing there, and then I'll put some harp in. Does Craig like that? Oh, that's cool. Uh, flutes, there's a lot of flute in it. it just all these yeah. instruments that were, you know, they're components of orchestral writing anyway. So I just played with the ones I liked the most. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I would say harp isn't something that pulled from any specific culture, but it definitely came from the drama of, I don't know, you know, Tchaikovsky or whatever, you know, the yeah. heyday of romanticism, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, WC and stuff like let's be big and 
yeah, you know, flowery, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, and those Russian nationalists definitely made a name for themselves by doing that, right? By saying, we're going to create a sound and it's going to yes. be this. And yes. I mean, and it, it was hugely popular, right? And, you know, yeah. it's still orchestral favorites that you hear any major symphony play every year, you know, yeah. will, will yeah. come from, some of it will come from that. So, yeah, yeah that stuff's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you do this really great uh, kind of harp. It's, I wouldn't really call it a cadenza as much, but I guess it's a cadenza in that, you know, uh, it's like around the six-minute mark in that um, opening piece, which, by the way, is called Soak in Brine. That's Soak the, in Brine. That's the actual title of it. Um, yes. You know, everybody drops out, and the harp just does this lovely um, kind of melismatic statement uh, it's mm-hmm. very brief, and it's not, you know, when I think of a cadenza in the traditional sense, I think of a solist, soloist being, like, really bombastic and flashy and virtuosic, and this isn't that. This is just a little, like, hey, I'm going to harp here for a minute. And, yeah. and I thought that was really lovely how everything just kind of drops out, and it's just harp and choir for a minute, and, and yeah. I, I really liked that. I think one of the things as a non-educated writer working in orchestral music, I don't know how to play these things. (laughs) So, but I, you know, and again, it's just like, that is what it is. It's not necessarily like a badge of honor or anything. I just haven't gone through that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've always liked, I always think of things from a sound design angle and tones and check textures and how these things interplay. Some of my favorite, contemporary composers is John Luther Adams. And I was really, oh, really yeah. lucky. I got to see the world debut of uh, Become Desert. Oh, wow. Where okay. there's bits of the orchestra placed in the balconies, the choirs behind you, you can't even see them. Yeah. And it really hits home that it's all about these textures and their movement. And it's not about, yeah, virtuosity. Like, you know, check out this piano line this guy's great right stuff it's much more about just like hey these instruments sound badass and i love it (laughs) and so it's a lot of that and there's the freedom of working in kind of that orchestral construct or you know you got all these instruments Mm -hmm. uh i would say somewhat unconstrained in a way because it's a lot of it's so much of it's sample based that I can throw in, oh, this texture is really neat. And I don't have to worry since we're not live recording, like, oh no, that's another, we don't have, we don't have an oboe, you know, <laughs> we're going to go, yep, I do. <laughs> and while again, I don't get to harness the virtuosity of a real 
musician, I get to play with those textures. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of that comes from is just plugging things in, adding and removing to get the textures that sound good uh, and good together. And if they're still doing a lot of the traditional stuff of chord progressions and bringing in a melody and swapping that melody and giving it to this other instrument to get some other feel. But a big part of it, again, going back to that concept of why the working title was topography is it's like we're working with, you know, we talked about ocean waves a lot and, you know, sounds uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, coming and going in this way. And so that was one of the prime drivers of how all of this worked is, is yeah, these textures. And yeah. hopefully you get to the point where, yeah, you can kind of lose yourself in it and just like enjoy the feeling instead of the specifics. choir is a big part of that so I'm curious how that all worked um, because I, maybe you had a large mixed chorus but I, I don't know that you did so how did how did that yeah. happen? Well this okay so this this gets back to the kind of budget is this you know <laughs> we're an indie game kind yeah. of scrapping along for so many years mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> we talked about like well where will we spend money and I'm pretty good at harnessing computer stuff and making it feel organic and real. Yes. But the one thing I have no skill for is uh, the human voice on so many levels. I'm terrible at it. So (laughs) I said, if we're going to spend any money, I want to spend it on singing because that's the thing I need the most help from, from a writing standpoint, from a performance standpoint to a, yeah, I just don't know what the hell I'm doing standpoint. (laughs) Um, But we had an idea of what we wanted and it was, uh, it started, I think, both of us, Craig, this is Craig Adams and I are fans of uh, The Thin Red Line. It's a Terrence Malick film. And in that, there are uh, Polynesian or uh, you know Pacific Islander choirs that are really, really unique. But one of the things that's unique about them is it's essentially a pidgin English Christian, Christian choirs, mm-hmm. but kind of run through this filter of the explorers who went there and the missionaries who went there and then the cultures that they interacted with. And so this curious choir sound uh, is very, very unique. Uh, this is this is getting a little off topic here, but there's even a specific island. There's only like five or 600 people who live there who actually do um, pitch or key shifts mid-song. Oh, wow. It's Rapa Iki, I believe. I could be getting this wrong. And I can send you references afterwards. <laughs> yeah. But they actually, it is the most disconcerting thing because they'll actually slide, entire choir, wow. slide from one pitch to another and then continue singing. And so it sounds like somebody's slowing down a record. Wow. Uh, it's really, really amazing. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so as we did more research, I noticed the similarities between the Pacific Islander choirs and... Uh, American uh, choirs. It's called uh, shape singing. Yeah, shape note singing. Yeah, shape note singing. And yep. I was like, man, this stuff is 
this stuff is is really, really similar. And so I did <laughs> as much research as I could about how and why these cropped up and they're so similar. And it was basically like, as religion chan- uh, tra- traveled and missionaries traveled, this is essentially, I think the word is naive writing. So they're like, well, we don't know how to read music. So we ascribe shapes to things. Mm-hmm. And then the singers are kind of in a circle or in a square and one person leads it. And it's very essentially like, uh, uh, for back, lack of a better term, kind of primitive. Mm-hmm. But that to me is like, that's the real shit. Like I love... <laughs> I love the the purity of it. So coincidentally, in researching this stuff, I was like, well, this stuff's amazing. How, do, how could we possibly pull it off? I uh, came into contact with uh, Priscilla Snow via, I think, via Twitter. And they've done really amazing music for scores and soundtracks. And so I was just a fan of their stuff that was on Bandcamp. And somehow we got on the subject of this style of music. And Priscilla's like, oh, I know, not only do I know what that is, I've sung it. And my like great grandfather wrote the, the book, literally wrote the book on <laughs> this style of singing. Wow. And I was like, you got to be shitting me. Yeah. Uh, so at the time, Priscilla lived in Seattle. So we were actually able to meet face to face. And I said, this is what I want to do. What do you think of that? And they were like, oh, yeah, I could knock this out. No problem. And then the p- pandemic hit. Oh. Uh, and they ended up moving to Montreal, but became really involved in the project to the point where Priscilla designed the language that's spoken. Okay, I in the game, about that. Yeah. and that the kernel of that was writing this piece of music. And so we described the scene. This is what it is. The explorer is mm-hmm. going to leave. This is their essentially spiritual uh, goodbye that the whole family and and tribe sings as the person leaves. And so, yeah. And is that they, To the Stars? Is yeah. Is that the name of so that, that one, To the Stars? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is, uh, Priscilla demoed it uh, with their own voice, just, you know, multi-tracked. And I was like, this is great. How are we going to do this? So we started contacting uh, singers we know, uh, friends of friends. By that time, the, uh, a shell in the pit was involved for sound design. So they helped find some folks. Uh, my friend James Wetzel is a throat singer, so he sang low parts. Because that was another thing. I was like, I want to incorporate some of that because we use it later in the game. Uh, Priscilla's in the choir. Uh, John Robert Matz is in the choir. And several of the voice actors are in the oh, choir. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it was built piece by piece. Yeah. So everybody sang separately. Uh, I put together demos from all those bits to say this is how this will roughly sound and then a shell in the pit set it up spatialized within the game so as you move through that crowd all of these voices are coming from the characters in the game and you can walk around the crowd it's the most (laughs) it's the most impressive like implementation and writing everything about it is just i love I was obviously very kind of involved in a producer 
stand aspect, but I didn't write it uh, and didn't perform it. You know, just kind of we had this rough idea and Priscilla really knocked it out of the park. Like really, really amazing work. And like I said, went on to design the language in the entire game. So the music, the song was done first. Wow. And that was like, yeah, Craig was like, well, hell yeah, we want to turn this into the language for the game. Another uh, track where Priscilla is featured pretty heavily is, um, is it him the Hymn Wave, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's another really beautiful uh, just demonstration of their voice and, and um, you know, that's a, that's a cool track. Do you want to talk about that one at all? Yeah, so that came about, we, we discussed it as well, along with the main choir writing was... There's this idea we had, again, that this planet has a voice. And so that was what, I don't know when, no, when Craig started calling it the hymn wave, but it became that, well, this is the tone. And I'd done some more synthetic things that are pulses and that they're all in the game that are like, well, this is just kind of how this thing breathes. And it was like, well, when it gets really weird, what's going on? <laughs> and I had... I think I had discussed that with Priscilla. We needed a, you know, music for the interior of this thing. So that was essentially the second song that was worked on, but this was much more of being remixed. So I was like, and I, you know, I got approval beforehand. I said, I want to, the, the main choir piece, I don't want to touch. Like you do your thing. Everybody sounds great. I was like, but this one I'm going to fuck with. But <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. And Priscilla was like, oh yeah, that's amazing as well. So go for it. So then it was, yeah, highly manipulating things and looping to get, yeah, a more ambient approach. And again, using that dichotomy I mentioned earlier of the human, the voice of the humans versus the voice of the planet. And ironically, mm -hmm. having a human voice as, as a component of that, which is, I don't want to get too deep into it, but one of my philosophies with this, and again, I'm stealing from Lem and Solaris, was that the way this planet is communicating with the humans is kind of trolling through them mm. and spitting it back out. I think that's in contact to Carl Sagan book of like, Oh, well we're, we're so far advanced from you. We're going to like manifest ourselves in some sort of human form. So it's kind of that it's like say, well, we'll take these voices. Singing is very important to these people who came here. So I'm going to sing it back to them. But then it's been distorted and kind of, you know, uh, droned, droned out into, yeah, what became known as the, the hymnoid.
to me about minimalism, if you would, and you know your experience with it, um, because some of these pieces are very like that era of the '60s and '70s in classical music and and such. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little, bit, especially um, "Jet to Cosmodrome," which has yeah. great woodwinds in it, beautiful oboe and flute. So, um, so talk yeah. to me a little bit about that because it pops up in in the score. Yeah. I love that stuff too. I, I I just I love all kinds of music, and like <laughs> it's funny. The word minimalism is actually became really important to me because I think of it. I mean, obviously, it's a kind of a codified style of orchestral music, as you mentioned. But I've always I also use that word as a bigger thing. So John, again, John Luther Adams, perfect example of minimalism. Yeah, in a way, like I would say, notes on a page is minimalism, but terms of these reason performances it's maximalism because it's a massive amount of performers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i've always appreciated doing the kind of the axiom of doing more with less um so kind of and i do i'm additive and subtractive when i write i keep adding stuff and adding stuff I'm like oh this would be cool this would be cool but then it just as important as then subtracting things and realizing like oh well this instrument it's not the point anymore, or it's not adding something specific. So it's getting, it's stripping things down to the bare essentials. So in terms of minimalism, like beyond it as that term, I do think of it like music wide, like who does a lot with a little basically. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, this has nothing to do, I guess, with the music jet, but I think of uh, Portishead a lot. Oh yeah. Is that song Machine Gun, which is basically like, It's so nothing, and it's so good. Like I say, I say nothing is a compliment. Like, how did they make something so good with so few elements? Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, something I strive towards as I'm throwing crap at the wall <laughs> is to like, no, 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 pull it back to, you know, what's the simplest it could be. Um, but how it relates to some of the things I did in Jet is then how repetition is a part of that minimalism. Like it yes. could be a simple figure and that just, it repeats and maybe the repeats are offset from a different instrument doing something, but that that tone, even though it's separate notes, like an arpeggio, becomes almost a drone because it's like so persistent and consistent. So yeah, there's definitely some of that too. And I do like, 
I do like, I love loops. I love, like, I come from kind of a background of, I just have always loved sampled music. And like, some of my favorite music is 100% sampled by, you know, producers like uh, the Bomb Squad, who just, they produce with noise a lot. So they were, they did, I think their biggest thing was uh, Public Enemy takes a nation of millions to hold us back. And it is just, they use, everybody else was going for a drum break off some record. They'd use the same record, but they're like, no, we'll use the weird squeaky saxophone part and we'll <laughs> repeat that. And that really struck me as like, mm-hmm. again, this is kind of that minimalism thing. It's like, they're not like playing a riff. They're creating textures with what other people would consider throwaway or, you know, like, like I said, I think, yeah, one of these songs, it is just the intro kind of like the, almost like the saxophone clearing their throat and they turn that into something central. So yeah, so it's like mining that territory of repetition as well. It's just like, I love loops. <laughs> uh, and so ascribing that to something with that is the opposite, which is a lot of orchestral music is it's always going somewhere new, mm-hmm. you know? 15-minute long piece. It's always going somewhere new. Something new's happening. Yeah. I'll get back to that melody eventually, but oh, here's this new part. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. I think it's almost an accident for me of balancing those two things. Of like, I love that variety and going places, but I also do like the concept of like something repeating over and over with subtle changes being a, you know, uh, a mantra sort of thing. Again, yeah. back to John Luther Adams. I really feel like knows that, like really nails that. Yeah. It's, it's, this would be a good time to just very much encourage the listener to check out John Luther Adams because there's just some really amazing, all his water series, the river, the yeah. ocean, all of those. He did a mensural canon a few years back, you know, which is like a canon where um, the parts are either slowed down or sped up. So they're all playing simultaneously. I just yeah. hit my mic, but um, uh, yeah, there's, I just, I was lucky enough to get to interview him back in an old job oh, on, yeah. on stage about a premiere he did here um, in the Twin Cities because, of course, St. Paul is right across the river and they have a chamber orchestra there that's yeah. phenomenal, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And he, uh, they premiered one of his pieces. And, um, uh, yeah, just an amazing person. So, okay, plug over yeah. for John Luther <laughs> Adams. Go check him out. Well worth it. <laughs> If you're ever wondering what modern classical music sounds like, there's yeah. an example, right? Because I have, I, yeah, it just runs the, the gamut. I was just gonna say I have the weirdest series of plugs, don't I? Like <laughs> John Luther Adams, Portishead, The Bomb Portishead. Squad, Public Enemy. Yeah. <laughs> and before we hit record, it was Steel Pole Bathtub, right? So oh yeah, and Steel <laughs> Steel Pole Bathtub. Yeah, yes. gotta check that out. Um, so uh, this seems like a good time to ask then, because you know you, you referenced a few times about you kind of made some some jokes about maybe like an uneducated. I can't remember how you said it, but uh, you know, so what inspired you then to to really like dive into that and want to compose in that world if you uh, perhaps felt like you didn't know how, or I'm, I don't really know how to ask the question unoffensively, yeah. but you know, like. No, I, that's fine. <laughs> so I did start out with very, you know, early, earliest music stuff. I played trumpet and played jazz, just like, you know, in school, like mm-hmm. a lot of kids do. Yeah. So I did read music and I did, you know, I got to the point where sight reading was no problem 
And I kind of hit the point where I was like, well, I could keep going and like really try to be an excellent trumpet player. Or I could say, screw this. I want to make my own stuff. Yeah. So I didn't stop immediately, but I bought a guitar and started playing drums. And it was just so much more fun than sitting down and playing somebody else's music. Mm. And so it wasn't deliberate, but then I just kind of forgot all of that and didn't have a music education. I grew up with it kind of like, well, do something real. And I, I kind of hit middle ground where I got to go to art school, but I went for industrial design. So very, oh, wow. you know, location focused education, but I still got to be weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I kind of forgot all that and never came back to it beyond. To me, notation is super, super valuable for communication. That's how musicians and composers can talk to each other. That's awesome. And theory really helps a ton too. But if you don't have it, I think what I realized is so much of it is innate. Mm -hmm. And it's culturally very different depending on where someone is brought up and what music they listen to all the time. But a lot of those rules are rules because of that innateness, not because somebody decided, like, well, we're going to do this. So tough. It was what was already happening anyway in folk music and sort of non-recorded music. And so they're just kind of like, oh, well, we got to write this down. And oh, shit, I, okay, I get this. And that's what becomes theory. So it's kind of, it's playing in a lot of, yeah, what people could, more trained, uh, trained musicians and composers go, oh, you're doing this. And I don't know. But the reason I did it is because I heard somebody else did it and it sounded cool. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. And I might probably do just as much that, you know, trained, trained in theory folks would say, oh, that sucks. Like, why'd you do that? Or that's a, you know, a rookie mistake or whatever. (laughs) I don't know. I'm like, I definitely am sure those mistakes are in there, but I thought they sounded cool. And again, I'm so much about texture and sound design that the sound design of the things I'm hearing that I, that's more important to me than like checking notes to see like, Oh, the harp speaking of harp. Oh, harps can't actually play that note, right. you know, because they're pedaling and they're changing. I'm like, well, shit, sorry. If we did get to the point where it's like live, then I absolutely need to and want to collaborate with the musicians because mm-hmm. that world's fascinating to me as a lapsed musician of like, those little things, you know, the, yeah. the the range of something, or I can't play those two notes at once, or that's too fast. Mm-hmm. That piano part requires 15 fingers. What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> like, okay, we'll change it when that comes. But until yeah. then, I think there's, you know, it's, I don't want that to be a burden on, you know, just making things sound cool. Yeah, it it's um, uh, it's all just so so fantastic, and I I again I'm I'm glad you mentioned the harp again because I just I love all the little um, times it pops out of the texture and uh, it does a, a really cool thing in um, 
jet to ground control. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a fun one. It just does. It's a scale. It's stupid scale. Like, yeah. and you do that in oxen free too, by the way. And I'm maybe mm-hmm. all other places, but I love, I love that. I mean, there are classical composers. There are loads of composers who just toss a scale in there, and I'm like sold. I love it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so mm-hmm. simple and effective. And and I I loved that line in in Jet to Ground Control. Yeah, a lot of this was just going for it. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, you know, again, additive, subtractive, like adding things and um, like, hey, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think maybe more intuitive stuff pops up. Like, I just like the way that sounds or this. And again, guilty here. That's easier for me to play on a keyboard. You know, like that's one of the things. It's like, yeah. oh, that's too hard. And I do the thing where I cheat if something's super difficult, like I played and perform it at halftime and then oh, double for the sure. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. But a lot of it will become like, yep, that was that's cause that's the way my fingers worked and it sounded cool with the other stuff. And there there it exists. mentioned too about you know kind of this additive approach and stacking and and things and um you know i think it's no surprise that that's how a lot of video game music is constructed in general right because you're adding layers to up intensity and and things like that and so so things come in so i'm sure this will come up again in gibbon because um when we talk about that one of my well i'll save it we'll we'll talk about that in gibbon too but um (laughs) but in uh in in Jet, you know, there are a lot of examples of this happening, um, but uh, uh, one of my favorites here is called Love the... Is that is it Love the Dreadwave? Did I write that down wrong? Love the Dreadwave? There's just... <laughs> oh, I think you love... Oh, I love the Dreadwave. The Dreadwave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me sort that out. Yeah. So, yes, yes, I love the Dreadwave because of all these stacking arpeggiations that you have in there. It's a very satisfying musical event uh, in that piece. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, love that. Uh, here's my, this is the most embarrassing thing I can ever say as a composer. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to blame it on a long, long production schedule. As I made that and threw it up on into the project and I was like, kind of, here's the thing. And I forgot about it to the point where 
I found it and I was like, what is this? Is this is cool? What is this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I made this. <laughs> and had to dig around in the project. And it was, it felt really good. But that's yeah. the thing. I, I think this shows like what video game production is like. And yeah. something, the long schedule is one thing but just that i'm writing so much music and that Mm -hmm. that can happen as i'm kind of jamming on things and something cool like that will happen i'm not quite sure what it's going to be used for yet and then i'll make it into a chunk and send it off and be like hey what do you think of this and then i move on to the next thing that i have to write and so yeah that was a fun one because i had completely forgotten i had written (laughs) (laughs) and it's one of my favorite parts too i because i did get to come back and be like yeah you know that. Yeah, you're like yeah. impressed with yourself and yeah. not knowing it's yourself. Okay. Like, yeah. Yes. Getting I had done it gave me the perspective to, to like, I think, fully appreciate or not, you know, and go, huh, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Whereas usually I don't have that perspective. I'm like, I have no idea if this is good or right. not because good. I spend so much time with it. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so then several years later, then was like, OK, this is really cool. Now make it work in the game. And so it had that period okay. of like revisiting and, and rearranging. Yeah. to make it something more useful than what it was, which was just like this short loop of the arpeggiating. So. Every once in a while, you know, for various reasons, a video game will have just some random track on it, whether it's you walk into a store and you hear the jingle that, and so it's just kind of anachronistic to the rest of the score, right? And yeah. and I felt that way a little bit, a little bit about Brine Sea Scouts. Can you talk to me about that track? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that one. <laughs> There's um, like weird trumpet ensemble stuff, which is phenomenally good and yeah. some great woodwind flourishes, but then there's like recorder i swear to god yep. so <laughs> i'm almost like can i talk about this without spoiling oh something? No. okay okay there's a lot of uh luck comes and goes when you're working on a project for 10 years yeah you have this <laughs> oh amazing. this is going to be in the game for sure and this isn't so brian c scouts is kind of a remnant of some mythology that was part of the game at the time it still is the mythology of the game but isn't i'd say actively portrayed as a major part of the game as it okay. was originally intended. But okay. what this was, was this is, and the reason it's called Brian C. Scouts is this was the training. This is like the new trainees who are coming to learn okay. how to fly a jet. This is kind of their theme. And again, talking about the weird references we have, <laughs> uh, we were thinking about Wes Anderson movies oh, God. and Moon- Moonrise Kingdom. Okay, And so we were thinking of like, well, what's, what's kind of naive and kind of charming and... Uh, you know, youthful and optimistic and yeah, 
Did I say naive? Naive already. And so that was it. And instrumentation and the flourishes and the way they're played is kind of supposed to reflect that, you know, yeah, that optimism of not childhood, but yeah, trainees were like, hey, I'm new here. (laughs) What's, What's gonna happen before you're, yeah, before you're the grizzled veteran. So yeah, very, I think, very different from the rest. In fact, to the yeah. point where for the soundtrack, we were like, well, we both really, really love this, but it's very different than everything else. <laughs> uh, how does it work? And we just kind of said, screw it. Good. It's there. I'm we're glad good. you did. Yeah. It, it yeah. definitely made me like do a sideways thing as I was listening. Yeah. I'm like, really? What's, what's going on with this track? It was great, though. Great. Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, and so that's emblematic of one of the really fortunate things I got to do with this project, and which was so great working with Super Brothers, was these explorations were part of making the game. It wasn't, here's the scene, now make it work. Over and over, it was like, hey, we have this vague idea. Hmm. And as so as Patrick and Craig developed ideas, I got to do the same. And... We got to bounce things back and forth in that way. And this mm-hmm. is t- the early days of this game. I was the sound designer as well okay. and was doing everything. Wow. So we would experiment with concepts of, yeah, sound design, creature noises, everything. Like, what could this be? What could that be? And so that's where things like this pop up is we can just work with some words. You know, we basically, oh, yeah, and these scouts and they're coming to their new camp to learn how to. Jet, what do you think of that? Wes Anderson, Moonrise Kingdom. And that's what pops out. Whereas, you know, it would be very different if it was some completed scene and they're just like, well, make this work. Yeah, um, right. Which no, isn't yeah. bad. That's the way most things are. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, was really fortunate with this project to the point where we, I do feel like we kind of bent game scenes and game play around some of these musical ideas like oh well let's make this longer or i this is not the case but this is the kind of things like let's add more people to the choir because it sounds so cool yeah and so then they have to go back to the game and add more people to the scene (laughs) or whatever i don't think that actually happened but that kind of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um this back and forth really allows for that sort of experimentation yeah and 10 years, huh? How did that happen in the very beginning? How did you uh, get yeah. connected with the project? Um, I just posted on Twitter about one of the first things. But yeah, we just kind of uh, mutual appreciation. I didn't know much about video games, but Super Brothers was on the tail end of Sword and Sorcery. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about it vaguely 
And they got in touch through a friend. They're like, hey, would you be interested in doing a little bit of something for this game? And this friend who was more into games than I was, said, I ran it by him. I was like, have you heard of Sword and Sorcery? He's like, oh, shit, yeah. Why? <laughs> and I was like, well, they asked if I wanted to do some little sound design thing for it. And that friend was like, do it. Yeah. Like, this is, everybody's talking about this game. It's really exciting. So I started out doing just a few bits because obviously Jim Guthrie was the prime composer on Sword and Sorcery. But as it came, and then it came out, it was kind of like a hit. So they said, hey, come to GDC, Game Developers Convention, and we can meet in person, kind of, you know, have dinner or whatever. Yeah. So I was at some party at GDC. <laughs> And I met uh, Doug Wilson from De Guta Fabrique. I think he's an educator now somewhere in Australia. But I met him at a party. He's like, yeah, and I really, well, I really like that game you're doing with Craig. It's really cool. And I was like, well, what game? I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, oh, he showed me the demo? And I'm like, I do not know what game you're talking about. So he's like, okay, well, this is a little weird. Then I asked Craig, I said, yeah, well, Doug, I met Doug Wilson. He was, uh, he was saying that he, he had, he really likes your new demo, but my music. And Craig was like, oh, yeah, well, Patrick and I went to Toronto Game Jam, to Toe Jam, and we made a little Game Jam game. And we used some of your music off of one of your records. He was like, I hope that's okay. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was already in this game. I had no clue what it was but it was at a game jam the the very first kind of iteration of oh wow uh what became jet okay and that had some of my music in it which was from the early days of me making music which was a lot of sample based stuff so that song is in the game but it had to you know recreate it mm -hmm. from scratch uh uh, to avoid sample issues. Uh, okay. And it's very different. It ended up in a very different place. But it's one, and this is actually something on the soundtrack I was really insistent about, was having some sound design appear. And yeah. it is um, very spacious. So I took the chords. It's a, it's a WC. It's a WC composition that has been made and remade several times. So I just kind of lifted chords from it and was like, well, these are neat. Uh, and turned it into, again, something totally different. Yeah. But yeah, so that was in the original demo, this old sample cool. tune. So that's fun, too, is that that original thing made it all the way into the final game in some form. Mm -hmm. Again, scared of legal issues, but then it turned out to not even, we didn't basically use none of it. Nobody would ever know kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it still became something really, really, really cool. Uh, yeah, so that's how it started. And then it was even another year after that or so because Craig was still finishing Sword and Sorcery in terms of they were adding some content, bug fixes, new, I think, platforms and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really get going till 2013. 
was when Craig was like, okay, back to that. Remember that game I talked to you about a few years ago? Yeah. Uh, you know, let's actually do it. And I was like, okay. And it was my first, you know, the first game I worked on, really. Wow. And first full score that I signed on for. So it's extra ironic that it took so long for it to actually right. come out. <laughs> yeah. Just keeping in mind that I, I still want to talk to you about Gibbon, <laughs> yes. and I hope that's okay. Um, yeah. But before we do that, and before first of all, before we leave Jet, period, I want to know if there's anything else you want to say about it before we move on. Um, let's see. This is, <laughs> even sounds like a plug, but it's totally not, that there is, there's more to the game to come. That Which was is great. just announced last week, and there's more new music involved in that new i say it's again this is music that's been floating around for years a yeah. lot of it for me in mm -hmm. various forms um so yeah i'm really excited about that that there's kind of this part one and part two to what this ended up as because we yeah. didn't know when we started what the heck right. was going to happen um uh, there was even at one point we even experimented with vr for a minute to like oh, wow. what would this be like as a vr game yeah so yeah, a lot of experimentation with that. So yeah, I think that's the last thing to say is like, I really am excited. There's kind of this a next chapter to what people get to experience, especially for something that took us so long. It's fun to not just be like, okay, it's done. Whew. Right. There's something about like, oh, here's, here's part of it. And we got more to look forward to. It was really, really exciting. And I imagine you'll release that at some point as well, the soundtrack. Yes, yeah. yes, okay, 100% sure. I think, uh, again, Super Brothers are very forward-thinking, and I do believe we even have it planned, like track listing and okay. everything is already kind of nice. ready to go, and we're just waiting on, you know, all the beta testing, bug fixing stuff, and proper release schedule, and then it'll probably come out in tandem with the, the second part of the game. before we go to Gibbon, I, I you mm -hmm. know, you you mentioned a little bit about kind of your, your musical background and going to school for um, industrial design, which is yeah. interesting. And so then at what point did you pivot to just doing, just doing music, quote unquote, right? Um, slowly. So I started, yeah, I got a design degree and just played music for fun. Mm -hmm. And then in amongst those design clients, I was doing a lot of music work. So CD covers and album covers for friends' bands and friends' record labels and whatnot. Um, and one of those clients then who owned a record label and got a job at Microsoft and was like, oh, do you want to make music 
or this thing you're doing the design for anyway. Oh, cool. I guess. So I did that. And then another friend got into commercial directing and asked me if I wanted to do a Volkswagen commercial. So I kind of faded or segued from visual graphic design stuff into music Mm -hmm. for advertising and film. Mm -hmm. And so when video game stuff came up, uh, I was kind of already, I was ready for it. So when Super Brothers got in touch or another one of my early jobs was doing some remixes for Crackdown 2 for Microsoft. And that was through Guy Whitmore, the audio director at the time for Microsoft Game Studios, had just seen me play live. Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah, what a wonderful, fantastic fella. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're 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 neighbors. We Are met you at really? our local coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! If you see him and you think of it, please tell him hello for me. I would love that. I will for <laughs> sure. Uh, no, yeah. So that was one of the first things I had done. Uh, so I was roughly ready for it. Like I knew production techniques, mixing, mm-hmm. all that stuff. The unfamiliar territory was doing adaptive. I think this is a guy, guy Whitmore term. Uh, adaptive music so as music Mm -hmm. changes based on player progression or input or changes within the game uh that was new but i kind of jumped into that because i was very familiar with performing live with uh uh, ableton live so kind of oh nice i have a rough idea of what i want to do but i will change things in process of a live performance depending on how i think things should go Mm -hmm. and actually one of my earliest jobs that's how i demoed i went in with uh 17 bit to work on galaxy i was like this is what i imagine the music doing and i brought a laptop and a novation launch pad mm-hmm. was like i think and this is when the enemies come and i kind of change ableton scenes and like and then the, this can fade out if you win and so yeah kind of translated that into video games so i hit the ground running in terms of like i already had a lot of the skills mm-hmm. necessary to do the basics, like yeah. technical basics. Um, and then, yeah, then that segued from the film and TV stuff into video games pretty almost full time. Yeah, I haven't done anything non video gaming for a while. So. And and it's it. I got the impression you're not really a gamer. I am. I was not when mm. I got the first offer. Okay. Like I had. No, I had an Xbox, and I played. I played a fair amount of Halo Two way way back. Okay. Okay. But I wasn't like super avid, and yeah, was really unfamiliar kind of with the indie explosion that surrounded Sword and Sorcery. Yeah. But then jumped right in. And so I was like, holy shit, there's some incredible stuff happening. And yeah, a lot of it reminded me of like playing punk rock when I was a kid. So it was really exciting and fun to like get to be a part of of that. So yeah, it came up quick, as quickly as I could. And like when night school approached me, like I believe that was through a friend of a friend. Yeah, it was through a friend of a friend. So Sean Crankle at night school 
got in touch not knowing I had worked in video games. It's just like, yeah, I love your music. But oh, cool. somebody, my friend has your CD in his, his car. Would you be interested in working on games? I was like, I already am. Let's do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have a part two uh, discussion and we can talk about uh, the night school projects because yeah, I'd uh, love to. People, people love that music, rightfully so. It's amazing. It's, it's fantastic. But... Instead of those, <laughs> we're talking yes. Gibbons next. Um, Gibbon Beyond the Trees came out earlier this year, Lovely game about you know deforestation. Um, you're probably gonna cry, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the music is fantastic. So um, talk to me about you know shifting gears big time. At, yeah. At, at least in this episode, um, yeah. Certainly, you had more time to adjust, but um, <laughs> what you know what it was like working on Gibbon. Yeah, uh, well, it's fantastic, and you know, I th- I do think these are great kind of case studies because of that contrast. Because mm-hmm. it does uh, really highlight something that's really important to me is that I don't go into a project as as me. I'm going to make scientific music, mm-hmm. tough shit. <laughs> I like every project. I really like. I really dig into as much as I can mm-hmm. and as early as I can. So it's important to me. The most important thing I'm doing is helping make whatever thing I'm contributing to good. And that means like understanding the vision that came before I was involved and the vision of those, the people I'm collaborating with. So I started working with Broken Rules uh, on Old Man's Journey. And I had met Clemens at, I think, again, a PAX. Maybe, yeah, Jake from 17-Bit introduced me to Clemens on the street. <laughs> and then the next day, the 17-Bit booth was across from uh, the the Broken Rules booth. And so I was like, oh, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> you make this game that was Secrets of Reticon. And I was like, this looks amazing. Like, yeah. just beautiful visual art. And they literally put a call on Twitter like, hey, we're looking for composers and sound designers. Wow. And they did an open call and blind audition oh, wow. for Old Man's Journey. So I was like, oh, I want to do this. Here's what I think. And then I think maybe they narrowed it down to have, I don't know, a few people, 20 people or 10 or something do demos. And so I did demos. They listened to those blind and then they selected mine. And then it's just been a great collaboration on every project I've done with them. I think we get along in a lot of ways. Um mm-hmm you know, culturally and politically. Uh, so we kind of get each other. And then for Gibbon, it really, really became clear in process, like how important it was, this game. Like it was, it started, the genesis was, it's fun to swing around in trees. <laughs> <laughs> hey, being a Gibbon, that's fun. Yes. But then they really did and being such good and responsible people, they looked into this and were like, oh, there's actually a lot of 
nuance to being a given, I guess you'd say. <laughs> uh, and that is like um, uh, uh, species endangerment, uh, territory encroachment, uh, mostly because of uh, palm oil farming. So deforestation based on that. And so it quickly co- collided with sort of imp- significant important issues that were already important to us, but really came to light in you know, what started as, hey, we'll make this fun thing. And so they didn't pivot at all from what the game was, but definitely put in focus on those important issues. So mm-hmm. doing interviews and uh, uh, talking with environmentalists about the specifics, making sure you know we were covering everything appropriately and getting all the important stuff in there. And how then do we then take that and weave it into this fun game and make it an engaging story and a fun thing for people to play, but also engage with, yeah, kind of on that social and uh, cultural level. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they did a bang up job. So it becomes then very difficult, like, oh, this is a tall order. Like this is an important thing to uh, (laughs) make as good as possible. And again, Mm -hmm. so that's that thing of like, the number one thing here is making whatever the project is as good as I can possibly make it. And a big part of that is I come in as blind as possible with respect to what I'm going to use to create. Okay. So that's why I think if you look at everything I've done, there's really wide variety. Yeah. And I'm not an expert at any of them, but I'm pretty good at a lot of stuff. But the way I get pretty good at it is just going like, well, what's their vibe? I'm going to steal as much of that as I can, which is good Mm -hmm. because that's, you know, that's the, collaborative process and so i'm you know i'm stealing ideas but i'm stealing them from the people i'm working with and i'm stealing concepts from you know concept art or animation and saying well what's that like musically and uh you know crafting that into something that hopefully is very unique to that project Mm -hmm. uh and thus you know is makes the whole thing kind of a more cohesive whole as opposed to like, well, here's a story about Gibbons with beautiful art and then some weird-ass tones that <laughs> Scientific made that don't make any sense. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I end up with different things is because I start with as blank a canvas as mm-hmm. possible. Gibbon, I really loved all of the like struck uh, toned instruments, like marimbas yeah. and even like tuned drums and chimes. Um, what were some of the other ones? A dulcimer? Was there a dulcimer sample mm-hmm. in there? Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. Just all these things that are hit to make a, a yes. sound. So yes. talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. So one, again, this was kind of thinking about I wanted to reflect the area and, and yeah. the habitat of the animal but I also want to be culturally sensitive I don't want to just go okay well we'll just make this like Balinese we'll make a gamelan thing and I don't know anything about it but whatever yeah. Gibbons uh, 
I want to make something that is evocative, but in a more abstract way. So it's not mm-hmm. as literal, like we're just going to make the music that comes from that place. Cause it's not about that place. Actually, it's more about, it's about the animals. The most yeah. important thing in this is gibbons. And then the secondary thing is how humans have intervened on their habitat. And it's not just, it's really not the people from those areas. It is, I'm going to get a little on my high horse here, but it is primarily Western interests, but it is corporate money interests that are driving all of this. And you see this almost everywhere in the world. If there's a problem or environmental devastation, you can just follow the trail of money back somewhere and it's never good. And so how do I reflect that musically? Well, I was like, well, I want a voice that's not, it's, it's, it's evocative of, of the jungle and the environment and the gibbons. What is that? And then wanted to contrast this. This is kind of like Jet, but wanted to contrast that with, well, the invader. And so I did kind of the same thing. It's like the invasive species, which is humans. This is the orchestral stuff and Western tunings that we're familiar with. So when we really feel that encroaching on this environment, that's what's taking over. But when it is that environment and the joy of the gibbons, that is these percussive elements, which is, I think is just like, I don't know, there's something percussive. I don't know. That's more buoyant and bouncy and reflective of, of the way gibbons uh, move. Uh, brachiate, which is the official term I've learned. And <laughs> even their communication, which again, I know you mentioned on Twitter, a uh, wobbler sound being involved. They did an amazing job of collecting this, uh, vocal samples of Gibbons and using that to enhance communication in the game. So yeah, there's just these feelings of like, well, that's what I want to express is the jungle of uh, yeah, that's native to the species. So I did a ton of research for music genres and instrumentation from that region and did found within it, there is a lot of percussive. There's, uh, you know, Bamboo, you know, it's simply what we would call uh, marimba. There's uh, tuned drums, tabla, tarang, which mm-hmm. you see not just in India, but you do see uh, uh, in, you know, Malaysia and other areas. Yeah. But then I spread it broader. So there's uh, instruments from all over the world. And one of the prime ones is essentially, I think the closest relative would be a hung drum. So it's a tuned metal it's like the end of a propane tank that has tongues cut in it. Oh, cool. That's the main instrument. It's here somewhere um, <laughs> that I played. And that's like, that is a cultural kind of like mutt. So that's like, huh. you know, it's kind of like, you know, steel drums yep. in Jamaica. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like, pan drums those are oil drums. drums. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That have been manipulated into this amazing, amazing instrument. Yeah. So these are kind of the same and so what i found was i was collecting all these different instruments that had this general vibe but that vibe became very almost like international because of where things are pulling from and that i in turn made it funner to just like oh i'm going to express like yeah the gibbon world whatever that is and it really really helps make it contrast with more overt like i said human intervention stuff which i based on, uh, yeah, Western-like orchestral stuff like strings.
Yeah, and you did mention the tunings too, because I mean, right away in the very first track of Gibbon, you hear some quarter tone stuff, right? And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, we're, we're mostly Western, but there's, yeah, it's kind of what the instruments are going to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some just are like, okay, well, that's not right, but right, <laughs> I say. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, that also gets back to one choice that was made was to keep mostly Western tuning. But this gets back to what I was talking about with Jet and the difference between, you know, the human side mm-hmm. and the alien side is like trying to come to grips with even within different human cultures, how differently we accept what is supposed to be normal. And so like Western chromatic tuning versus tuning from like Gamelon's actually a good example of a different, this is just a different tuning yep. method. Uh, from one tone to the next. And so to us, we think, oh, that's exotic and, mm-hmm. you know, different and to me. But someone who's like, hears Gamelon all the time, they don't, every time they hear it, like, go, wow, that's weird and exotic. And just like, yeah, it's, that's music. Yeah. That's music. So yeah, so I was keeping that in mind with this as well, but it was, yeah, mostly Western tuning just because that's what most of the instruments are. Mm -hmm. And then that fade from one thing to the other and to express, we knew, and this is another thing, is knowing the audience that it will be primarily a Western audience. And so if I want to express joy and sadness, like the easiest way to do that is with things that, you know, the typical or average player would be more familiar with sure, and easier to kind of accept when, mm-hmm. you know, at the end, there's kind of an uplifting moment. That's like, well, we're going from minor to major now. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was uh, one, one key point I wanted to mention about jet too, that I, I really enjoyed all the major chords, to be honest, you know, I mean, there, there, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of positivity in that music, you know? Uh, and I think maybe that's, you know, because it's exploration and you're out there and you're like starting these new things and trying, but, but yeah, I I really liked that tone in jet. And of course it's very present here as well because the game is so, you know, gleeful in a lot of ways, you know, just the act of swinging through the trees. It is fun. You know, you're just like banging around up there. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, yeah. In, being a composer, that was one of the hardest things I did was early, early on trying to write anything in a major key. I just always, <laughs> I was just like, ugh, ugh, why would I do this? Like minor, like sad stuff, so much easier. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, getting comfortable with it to the point where I'm at now, I'm actually, yeah, I'm glad you say that because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I am finally comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, given you hear that in the very, you know, intro tones of, the game here's the metaphor here is those you know we're using the different instruments as call and response from gibbons so they're not based on tones gibbons make but that general idea of the dun 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 and then you mm-hmm. hear it somewhere else is that there that's them 
talking to each other from treetop to treetop. And when they come together, that's when it gets, you know, harmonious and progresses and starts to swing around. does get serious of course because of the yeah. you know like you were talking about with the the palm oil and the all of the environmental um consequences for these amazing creatures uh and in embers there is a spot it's, it's pretty much halfway through the track it's like a i don't know how long the track is but about halfway through the track you bring in this really low base slide and it's really the first mm-hmm time we hear that frequency I feel like you know um, yeah. in contrast to the other kind of high frequencies that you hear from hitting something right so yeah. um, I just loved it I, I and I know visually what what's going on in the game right there so you know when you know that it kind of makes sense but I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that addition yeah yeah so one of the experiments I did it's actually in in frame here. The cello, oh, yeah, there hanging is. there I was. I have no clue how to play that thing, but <laughs> I love the way they sound, and I'm yeah. really into sounds that are more than just what you typically think of per- performance mm-hmm. of a cello to be. Like hitting them, that you know, the resonance on that thing, yeah, or on cellos in general is very cool. So I actually yeah. bought that to experiment with. So like tuning the strings by sticking a drumstick in there and then, you know, tapping on uh, 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 the shell and whatnot. But one of the things I was doing was there's a specific sound I wanted in this soundtrack that is, uh, well, most of the percussive stuff is live. There's a lot of live instrumentation in this. But the string stuff, you know, again, I want orchestral stuff. You don't know how to do it. We don't have the budget. Yeah. to do a big orchestra, so I'm using samples. But there was a specific thing I wanted to do, which was slide into notes. And that, I couldn't find in any sample libraries, so that I performed myself. And then there was a counter or, or a parallel instrument to that, which is synthetic. Synthetic is the, yeah, the sound you're mentioning, the hmm, like kind of very yeah. low. But I like that parallel of like we get these yeah. kind of scoops in and then this is this, you know, descending. And yeah, I think it's an accident that it is frequency content wise so different than everything else okay but everybody loves that sound yeah oh yeah that's really cool and it really worked oh it's so effective yeah element of the of the game so that is one more kind of sort of artificially thing that made it in but again yeah mixing and it just Mm -hmm. it just kind of worked its way in and yeah i feel at least that it, it it matches 
And uh, I had started to say earlier about one of my favorite things about Gibbon um, when you're building these layers, because in the game itself, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of other sound design elements happening. And some of that, sometimes that's rain. Sometimes it's like crowd noise of people talking. That's, yeah. it's not covering up the music, but it's an element that is separate from it that you don't hear on the soundtrack. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed about the soundtrack was hearing all of these tracks build from their genesis. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's probable that they aren't really constructed like that in the game in the first place. I, I'm not sure, but um, but I really love the standalone soundtrack for that reason, just hearing everything start from the smallest nugget and build into yeah. these really cool pieces. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it is. It is a conscious decision we made with the mix of the game mm-hmm. is we wanted the, the ambiences to be important. So yeah. we actually consciously mixed the music in this game lower than is typical. Okay. Because that contrast is very important. Verdant, loud, animal-y jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is stripped away and you hear the burning and then you hear the machinery and like, oh, you know, this is mm-hmm. very, this has really changed to all the, then the fully urban uh, soundscapes of the crowds and honking horns and human beings. We really, that's as important in this game as yeah. the music is. And so we actually turned the music down a few notches so that stuff could persist and exist. And it is an idea that we haven't acted on yet, but is in the back of our minds to do a Gibbon soundscapes, you know, yeah. release. Yes. Because I think, again, Wobbler Sound did such a great job of collecting all mm-hmm. this. David and Marcus, and just, yep. Yeah, and it's just a fun thing Yeah, for me. Like, I love soundscapes. Mm-hmm. I even mentioned, yeah, uh, one of the earliest things I did for Sword and Sorcery with Super Brothers was a, a song that's it's more soundscape than it is actual okay. uh, music. Yeah. And so when I can get away with that, mm-hmm. I do. Because I love... I love that. I love hearing rain sounds in the yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's a total cheat, but it's like instantly transportative. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's an idea we batted around with this was to do uh, a longer form and more environmental yeah. ambience focused soundtrack. Because there are, there's stuff that didn't necessarily make the soundtrack that is that. I was like, I'm just going to make 15 minutes of kind of plucks or percussive hits and mix. And so we actually kind of like I did with uh, the overture for Jet yeah. was I just made 15 minute long things for us to listen to and be like this is the vibe of the jungle nice. you know where can we work this in where it just shouldn't doesn't have to be score all the time and we can just really you know reflect on what the jungle sounds like There's a track called Liberation. I can't remember if Liberation happens during the credits or right before the credits uh, right now off the top of my head, but it gets really synthy at the end, and I love that shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's like this really great, like, synth-based stuff happening. I mean, not like 
super duper yeah. 80s style, but kind of, you know, I, I really yeah. loved loved that yeah. vibe. Yeah. Talk about that one. Yeah. Um, sometimes that stuff just works its way in. Like I said, <laughs> Good. it's like, it oh, should. It's whatever's cool. <laughs> yeah. Whatever's cool. back to jet a little of yeah. that again that metaphor broke down every once in a while actually dreadwave is a good example of like oh the synths are the planet but that is really reflective of the you know mm-hmm. maze journey in that oh this is this is, you're in deep shit so there is kind of like we're covering human stuff yeah and so in that i'm like ah, eh, my metaphor that kind of thing sort of broke down here but it sounds cool so yeah. fuck it yeah. And so, same with this. It's like, in that descending tone you mentioned earlier, it's like, yeah, this sounds really neat. Yeah. Uh, so, it deserves to be in there. And it is a psychological thing for myself. And I don't know whether it's because of my age or what. It's like, my brain has always had this huge division. I think because of, like, 80s synth soundtracks being like, oh, that's low budget. And so, it almost, it was... People don't remember this because there's been such a revival of it, but it was kind of derogatory. Like nobody yeah. was like, John Carpenter rules, man. Everybody was kind of <laughs> like, ah, these kind of cheesy yeah. B movies. And I always loved them, but it took a long time to go like, you know what? Screw that. This shit's amazing. This yeah. is like some of the these are some of the best scores that have ever been made. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go to bat for Escape from New York <laughs> alongside <laughs> anything. I just think it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um but my brain can't get rid of it. And I've even noticed that when collaborating mm-hmm. with video game developers of like, I'm like, oh, well, that sounds, you know, it sounds like an old, you know, 70s thing. And they're yeah. like, what? I don't, why? No, it sounds, it just sounds cool. And so it was me trying to get over like that. Oh, if I'm using the Moog, that means it's some retro thing. Yeah. But if I'm using strings, that's the eternal orchestral, everybody, you know. Yeah. So it's getting past that, and I think I am finally to the point where I am like, oh, if that sounds cool, screw it, you know, and that works, and it won't ruin the vibe. Hopefully, no. like people don't go like, oh, and why did it all of a sudden turn into the like soundtrack to some '70s zombie flick? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and just getting used to it as a you know mm-hmm. more broadly accepted. But I think that is too culturally like that music has such has had such a huge comeback yeah. that I'm sure most like. 17-year-olds hearing it now have no clue what the early 80s were like. Like, they don't go, ooh, Knight Rider. They just think, like, oh, that's cool. It's Carpenter Brute. They're awesome. Yeah. Knight Rider has made a weird reappearance in my life lately, and I've so much so that I've been watching (laughs) it again, which, I mean, I don't remember. I I watched it when I was a kid, because I was born in the 70s, so I watched it when I was a kid, but I don't, you know, I didn't, like, grow up remembering my favorite Knight Rider episode or anything like that. Yeah. so I just got really curious one night, a couple weeks back, I had finished up a series I'd been watching for a long time, and I was like, I just need something, like, I kind of want something nostalgic and semi-mindless, and I put on the yeah. pilot, or the first episode, <laughs> and I was just like, this is the origin story of this show? I was just, like, blown yeah. away, and then I was just sucked in. I'm like, well, 
everything about this is my childhood. The shoddy storytelling, the terrible stunts, the like all the stuff. But yet, yeah. oh, it's so great. Yeah, Knight Rider. <laughs> I just can't believe you brought up Knight Rider. But yeah, one thing I do love the most about rewatching that uh, is the soundtrack. This, the score for that show is really fun. You yeah. know, and and yeah, I'm I was pleasantly it's, surprised yeah. by that. This is it's a different era, but I came across something not childhood, but something from way in the past that really kind of blew my mind. I'm not sure in a like a you know like a not a hey this is amazing way, but just like the kind of experimentation that used to go on is a TV. I believe this is the early '90s uh, show called Unsub. Okay. So it was uh yeah. One of the guys from Starsky and Hutch is a star. <laughs> but it was it was basically like CSI before CSI existed. Okay. So it was like kind of this genius, like gritty, we follow or no criminal minds. It's like criminal minds. They follow okay. a serial killer and like we're gonna get in the mind of this like oh, awful amazing. person. So it was very dark. Yeah. But the thing that really you know, blew me away about it is, and I think it's, is it Mark Snow, Mike Snow, whoever the, the, the composer who like absolutely kills it with like every oh, law and order. Files and, oh, that guy, that guy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Snow. Uh, yes. Mike Post. Uh, Post. 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 Yep. Thank you. Yep. Yes. Mike Post. It is the weirdest soundtrack I've ever heard. Neat. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? Like the show's very dark. Okay. Uh, really grim subject matter. Yeah. One of the kind of CSI guys, you know, gets into the mind of the killer and gets very weird. But then the music's totally bizarre. And it is. It's like they would never make this show today. It's just too, it's too out there in terms of, you know, polished. It's very rough around the edges. Okay. But it has that kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, because cause they didn't have the budget for reshoots or whatever. Right. So they went with what they yep. could get together but yeah i was like hats off to to them and the composer for you know probably one of the most recognizable themes ever right uh doing this weird thing amidst that and it is it's like a stephen cannell production or something so it is it's from the people who were making yep the network hits but boy is it weird it only lasted a year yeah i see that i'm like looking Proof they're all on YouTube. I found them. Oh God, I'm definitely gonna. Yeah. definitely. This is right <laughs> up my alley. This is fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it only lasted a year. But then again, like America, they were just ahead of their time. Like yep. a few years later, I don't know how long later, but yeah, CSI, and oh. then Criminal Minds. Like we're really like, okay, this is what that show was that mm-hmm. you know cool. failed. We'll do it again. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, it was quite a. Divergence into all because so that, of the synthy yeah. bass. Synthy yes. bass will do that to you. Yeah. So unfortunately, <laughs> I can't claim that as an influence because I only discovered that like a year ago. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, I think going back to John Carpenter's most obvious influence, not just sure. on me, on so many people, but it, yeah. it has been really fun mm-hmm. to watch this total cultural reassessment of everything he did. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got he's got a famous quote. I forget exactly, but it's something like you know, in America, I'm a bum, but in France, I'm an auteur, or something like that. Or he's talking about like what everybody thinks of him. So he's also very aware, yeah, <laughs> of that. 
Yeah. But he, if you didn't know, he scored the new Halloween movie. So he's back. Oh, he, God. he collaborates with his uh, son. Amazing. And so he didn't direct the new one, but he did the score. Okay. Oh, so I'm cool. very excited for that. Yes, I saw that. Um, I saw that Jamie's back for that one. Jamie Lee Curtis is back for that one as well. So. Oh, is she? Yeah, 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 she's in it. Yeah. Oh man, that one scared me so much just because it was one of the few horror movies I had seen at that point because I wasn't really into horror. Mo- Still, I'm not, but um, where you know he's just like walking around in the middle of the day. It was like scary things happened in the yep. daytime in that movie, and I was like. No, it's only supposed to happen yeah. at night. I'm not safe during the day anymore. Yeah, that's so good, though. Oh, cool. Well, I'll look forward to that. Um, well, let me see. I know I had a couple more thoughts about uh, Gibbon uh, quickly. You did mention that, you know, as the Gibbon, back to Gibbon land, uh, Gibbon gets into the industrialized world, you know, the palette changes a little bit. Um and and I thought that was a, a really cool touch as well. Um, there is an instrument in New World, and this is so embarrassing to even ask this, but it kind of sounds like piano. <laughs> and I'm like, is yeah. that a piano? Because why would I ask, is that a piano? But I'm asking if that's a piano. So if it's the thing I'm thinking of that mm-hmm. you're mentioning, so this, I'm glad you brought this up. This is the thing I'm proud of. Is, okay. This is like low-budget very low budget thing. But one thing I really like doing, and this kind of relates to the instrumentation for this game as a whole, is when I can, I pull different samples together to create something that is slightly less the constituents. So it's exactly that. And so instead of, it's a piano thing, it's like, my hope is that, oh, it's, it's different enough that it's like, Gives people kind of an off-balance feeling about it, but can concentrate then more on like the melody of it yeah. and not just immediately fall into the yes, it's piano. Uh, so the and it's totally cheap and cheesy the way I do it. It's just <laughs> layers in contact of different things. So maybe some piano, um, like hammered dulcimer mm-hmm. or dulcitone, Fender Rhodes, any of these things layered together. Uh, and it's still going to be most of the time it works best with percussive instruments. Sure. Uh, then it becomes its kind of own thing that it doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. But it's just a couple contact <laughs> instruments piled on top of each other. This is my probably my biggest musical dirty secret is that this is a thing I love to do. Uh, best the best example of that is the I did a series of children's interactive children's books oh cool um so on van camp it's the one that's called odd fool at luna so it's three children's books but listening through that oh, i did yeah. a lot okay. with um uh making up making fake instruments but they're just by combining other things that do oh, exist cool. and i got to do that again so i did one track on uh uh, Sarah Northway's new game. I was a teenage exocolumnist. Okay. And so we discussed kind of the creative direction for that game. She mentioned specifically, she was like, I love that stuff. I love that, that the children's books stuff. I was like, well, that's awesome because I love it too. And it would be <laughs> something really fun to revisit. So I went back and kind of went through that archive of instruments and did a new song in that, like, you know, 
style and mm-hmm. got to, yeah, again, create some sort of an instrument that is familiar and very organic, but isn't instantly like a, that's a, again, a piano or a Rhodes. What else do you want to say about these two? Because I, I swear we're going to do this again in a few months. Yeah, after I we have time. should. Yeah. Um, no, I think that really c- covered it. I, get, <laughs> I didn't have notes about important things, but I think you asked the right questions to get to get to those things. Yeah, like that. The contrast, like why do I do things that are so different? We covered that. The fun yeah. little dichotomy that both have. They were good. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Good ones to compare and contrast. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed doing those deep dives on both those. And, um, you know, yeah, I just, I know you've got more coming up. Probably you can't talk about anything, can you? Can you talk about anything you're working on right now? Um, oh, no, no, but okay. when the time comes, <laughs> when the time comes, absolutely, yes. So if you okay. want to do this again, yep, um, it has to go through the more official channels of my current employer. Okay. Uh, but they would absolutely be, they would love for me to do this again and get in depth with. Great. You know, the next thing will be Oxenfree 2. So beautiful. Get, That's next year, right? Just 2023. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Good. Just announced a, a delay, but it's a good delay. Oh, yeah. Because we're really getting to craft. Yep what we want to craft. I usually consider a delay. Well, I guess it depends on the developer. <laughs> Depending on the yeah. developer, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. You should you should take just take all the time you need to make this perfect, you know, yeah. or or yep. as close to it. Um yeah. then I guess there are other developers you're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but but yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that'll be exciting to to have that come out. Can't say I'll be brave enough to play it, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so we'll see. I get pretty spooked by stuff like that. So all right, <laughs> yeah. But so far, so good. Good. Uh, very proud of it. I think it views closely to you know what people want from a sequel to a game that a lot of people really know. Yep. Um. So yeah. Great. Uh, we'll plan. Yeah, on. and for sure. Yeah, we can make the connections and make that happen because I'd love to. Uh, uh, I'd love to talk about that game. Awesome. A lot of, a lot of fun good. stuff to talk about. Good. So. Good. Good. All right, Andy. Well, thank you so, cool. so much for all your time today. That was really generous of you to like let me ask so many questions about two yeah, no separate projects. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, no, great, great questions. This has been a fantastic interview. Cool. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Andrew Rohrman, a.k.a. Scientific, and see a playlist. You can also support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with Andy on the Level with Emily YouTube channel, and please subscribe to that YouTube channel so you can get notifications and all the good things about every new video that we post. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc.
Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.